Well, good morning, church. We are excited this new year to launch into our theme for the year of discipleship. Um, specifically, and we've got a, a slide here for you, knowing him plus making him known equals discipleship. Now, today in our text, we're going to actually look a little bit more at the second um, uh, thing here, um, making him known. That's what we really kind of see going on here is, is, is John points to Jesus, the Lamb of God, as, as um, John's disciples go and start following after Christ, and, and Andrew actually goes and brings his brother Peter to Christ, as we just, as we just read. And, and, and so we're going to talk more about that, but next week we're going to talk a little more about the first component, which is knowing him. But you know, these two concepts are symbiotic. So let's look at this slide here. Um, it's not that you just know God and then you, you make him known and that's discipleship and you're done. The, the, the more that you, you make him known in obedience, that, that, drives, that drives us to a, a deeper knowledge. And when I say knowledge, I don't just mean um, knowledge about God, but a knowledge of God, a, a relationship with God. And then, of course, you really shouldn't be trying to give away what you don't have. So um, we can't really go out and make disciples and make him known in this world if we don't really know him ourselves, right? And so I, I want you to see that these two aspects of discipleship really feed on each other and, and, and grow, right? And so knowing him and making him known equals discipleship. And, you know, we were designed for both. We were, you were designed by God to know him. And you were designed and called by God to make him known in this world. That would be to your, your children. That would be to your, your family. That would be to all of those who are close to. And, and, and frankly, maybe even people you don't know yet. People who live on your street. You, you have been designed to know him and to make him known. Now, I was talking with, with uh, Pastor Robbie this week, or Minister Robbie, I guess I should call him, this week, and he brought up this concept. He, he, he reminded me of, of Lake Mead, and as we we're talking about that, um, my mind went to the Dead Sea. So I've got a picture here for you of the Dead Sea. Maybe, maybe some of you have actually floated in the Dead Sea. Um, uh, I've, I've driven past it. I haven't actually gotten in it. But you know, the Dead Sea is what we might call a dead pool. Okay, there's a river, the Jordan River, that, that feeds the Dead Sea, but there's no outlet. So water does not come out of the, the Dead Sea. And in fact, the fresh water of the Jordan evaporates quickly in the desert heat. And as such, the Dead Sea is called dead for a reason. That, that is, you won't find any fish living in the Dead Sea. Nobody would ever want to drink out of the Dead Sea because it is dead. It is 34% salt the Dead Sea. By contrast, the ocean water is about 3% salt. So it's just this big dead sea that frankly isn't a whole lot of good for, uh, other than as an interesting tourist attraction, right, to float around in. Well, you know, that's what, that's what happens to our heart. If we know a lot about Jesus or a lot about the Bible, but there's no outlet where we're we're making him known to others, our heart can become a dead pool. The, the Dead Sea, where frankly, it, it's not good for much. It's actually poisonous because we were designed as Christians 
to make him known. And you know, the more, the more it just becomes, you, you come and you sit, and if we don't go out and we don't go out and share, the more we can really start taking all this stuff for granted. It can become an intellectual exercise. And that, that, that separation maybe between what they say, the head and the heart and the human anatomy can, can, can grow longer. Well, I do have a picture here of, of Lake Mead for you. Um, actually, several pictures. What do you notice from this photo here? Well, you, you power, all right, that's good. We could actually kind of run off on, on that thought for a bit, but that wasn't what I was planning on talking about today. Uh, certainly, there is a lot of power that comes from Lake Mead, but also a lot of hydration, a lot of water. That, that is good water to drink, all right? Uh, a lot of California gets its water, actually about four states, I believe, get their water from Lake Mead, and, and uh, Lake Mead is, is fed by the Colorado River, and it also then goes and feeds a lot, of, uh, a lot of people water, millions of people actually. But the problem is there's more water going out than coming in. And so Lake Mead is drying up. Today, Lake Mead, we've got another slide for you here. This just shows you a little bit more maybe what's happened over the last number of years. Lake Mead is only at 30% capacity right now. Okay, more water is draining, is, is going out of Lake Mead than is coming in to Lake Mead. And so this is what will happen to your heart if you are trying to uh, do Christian ministry, maybe in your own strength. If you are uh, trying to give away that which you, you barely have inside. In other words, you're not, you're not abiding in Christ. You're not clinging to the vine. You're not spending time with him every day, and yet you're out there trying to do ministry. You're trying to, 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 to um, share truth with people right? You're trying to serve people, but it's in your own strength. That, that's what's going on, right? Your, your, your heart will start drying up. And, you know, ironically, they say that Lake Mead could actually become a dead pool like the Dead Sea if it drains too low, where the water itself becomes contaminated because there's no more outlet. It, it can't leave, right? And so, um, so it could become useless where you wouldn't want to drink that water either. So it could end up like the Dead Sea. So the point is, we must know him and make him known. Now, I want you to notice in this text that uh, my brother Ken just read for us, the verbs in that short text that denote movement. Verse 37 says, followed. Verse 38, following, seeking. Verse 39, come and see. Verse 40, followed. Verse 41 has the word found twice. Verse 42, brought. And, and so my point here, just as we kind of do an overview of these verses, is that the, the water is supposed to be moving. Does that make sense? The water in your life, the water in your soul is supposed to be moving. You, you were designed to, to know him and to make him known, and they build on each other. The more you make him known, the deeper you're going to appreciate him. The, 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 the more your faith is going to be reinforced. Maybe someone will have a question that drives you deeper into God's word, okay? And, and the more that you truly know him, the more you're, you're going to want to make him known because he is awesome. The more you're taken with Christ, the more you're just going to have to talk about him. And we're going to see that in John's response this morning. And so this morning, I've got two main points 
I was influenced by my, my brother, Pastor Bill, last week. Usually I, I you know, come up with a magic three. Uh, he, he, came, he, he likes to come up sometimes with two points with tons of subpoints. So I've got, a few, I've got that format for us this morning, all right? Two main points, and we've got some subpoints. But um, if you're just joining us this morning as a guest, we welcome you. We're thrilled you're here. Um, in your worship guide, you will see a, an outline here. I've left a few blanks. Uh, some of our kids like to fill these out. I, I tried to leave not as many blanks as Pastor Bill. Um, he has a few words along with all his blanks, and I usually can't manage to keep up. So just a few blanks for you, uh, but words that I hope you'll remember. And, and so two main points. And the first is that making Christ known is our responsibility, and making Christ known makes an eternal difference. All right, so let's talk about making Christ known being the responsibility of every Christian. Well, John the Baptist understood that it was his mission to point people to Christ. Verse, look at me, uh, look with me, if you will, at verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, J- John's Jewish hearers would have immediately thought of references to the sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament. And, of course, we looked at last week where John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So now they've heard this twice, Jesus being called the the Lamb of God. And so, likely, these Jewish followers of John would have immediately thought of the Passover lamb, whose blood marked their home as belonging to Yahweh God. And, and actually, at the time of, of right before the Exodus, had saved the firstborn from the angel of death. Well, their minds probably ran to the story of Abraham and Isaac at Mount Moriah as they climbed that mountain on a dreadful mission. Isaac walking alongside his dad, unaware that his father was about to face the test of a lifetime to sacrifice his son to God. And so we read in Genesis chapter 22, verse 7, that Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went up together. Well, you remember the story. Um, God waited until the very last moment to see if Abraham would be faithful. If Abraham truly treasured him above his beloved son. And as the knife was raised, God indeed intervened and provided a sacrificial lamb in Isaac's place. And we know that all of these pictures in the Old Testament pointed to this lamb who's now on the scene, right? Now, some some of John's hearers might have remembered the messianic prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53, in which the prophet writes, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's, There's one good lamb, in other words. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So as, as Christians, as, as followers of Jesus in the 21st 
century, 23 years now into that century, let us never forget or minimize the importance of the atonement of Christ. The, the atonement, that's a, that's a big word for the bloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is beautiful, and it is also very unpopular today. Ours is a bloody religion. And the reason that the atonement of Jesus Christ, that bloody sacrifice on a cross was so necessary is because we have sinned against a holy God and our sin demanded blood. We need to remember that. I I hope you remember that this week when you sin. I hope I remember that this week when I sin. It's not about just simply saying, sorry about that, God. Thanks. We're good. Jesus Christ died on the cross and spilled his lifeblood for my sin. It's what my sin demanded. And this is what John meant when he pointed to Jesus and said that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So let's be sure that as we're sharing with people that we never dumb down the gospel to make it more palatable for modern ears and somehow neuter the gospel from the atonement. Sadly, the atonement is is unpopular in many churches today, many modern churches. Now, this next verse, verse 37, is is very important, so let's not skip over it. John has pointed to Jesus as he walked by, and he has said, the Lamb of God, right? And the day before, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's saying, this is it. He's the one. And so, verse 37 says, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And I see two important things in this verse. And the first is that John endorsed Jesus. And his two disciples who knew him trusted his words, his endorsement, and they followed after Jesus. Now, you might think in your life, in your oikos, in your circle of friends and family and in relationships, you might think, you know, who am I to witness or endorse Jesus Christ? Wouldn't, wouldn't my pastor maybe be better at that? And, and actually, what I want to say to you is I don't believe I am better at that than you are in your circles. Now, now please feel free to invite your friends to church. We would love to have them. Uh, church, let's be sure that we are a, an outward uh, thinking group. So uh, if you see somebody you don't know, please, it's your job this year to go talk to them, make them feel welcome, uh, love on them. You don't know, maybe, maybe you would have an eternal influence in their life, okay? Uh, but you know what? I, I want to just say, don't just bring your friends to church. Endorse Jesus to your friends. Those who know you will trust your word more if they can tell that you really believe it. Does that make sense? People who know you and, and, and know that you say what you believe and that you talk about what you're excited about, because of that relationship that you have, your endorsement matters. And, and so we see here, because uh, John's disciples trusted him, they listened to his endorsement. They could tell he believed it. And you know what? The second point I want to make here in this verse is that John did believe it. John was smitten with Jesus. That's why he could say, he must increase, 
and I must decrease. That's why what we see here is that his witness for Christ came at a cost. It actually came at the cost of the loss of some of his folks following him. He, he actually lost some of his following, some of his influence. Right now, right now, all the young people in our culture, they want to be influencers on, on social media. Right? Imagine just saying, okay, uh, I'm going to give up half of that for Jesus. That, that's exactly what we see John doing right here. His crowd got smaller. And, and I look at, at the church in America, and I wonder if we are really smitten with Jesus. Or are we more concerned about our own crowd size and our own power and, and wealth? Are, are we willing to send our best folks off to the mission field or to places where there are, are fewer believers? Are, are we in the disciple-making business or in the business of spiritual consumerism? That's a question that we need to constantly ask ourselves. And I would say it might be easy for us to, to kind of be critical, maybe, you know, the bigger church across the street um, or on the other end of town that might be a little more what we call seeker-centered. Maybe they have a little, you know, a little uh, higher-charged band going, maybe a little more entertainment going on. And, and for us to say, oh, we, we, we prize the deeper things of God here. Well, you know what? We, we can be just as consumerism. It can be all about intellectualism. Come and teach me. I'm going to sit back uh, I'm, I'm going to be the Dead Sea, right? I'm going to let it flow in, but I, I don't have any plans this week of going out and sharing with somebody else, right? That, that can be total consumerism just as well. And frankly, brothers and sisters, that is not being smitten with, with Jesus, that, that attitude. So we as well have to be sure that we are more about the disciple-making business than the business of spiritual consumerism. John believed that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He was the hope that he had been waiting for. That he was the, Jesus was his life purpose. And so he, he, he couldn't help but point him out to people and to say, there he is, the, the Lamb of God. It's not that John was ready to retire from his ministry. He, Jesus was what his ministry was all about. And so, like John, we need to understand that, that our mission is to point people to Jesus. If you are a Christian, if the Holy Spirit is in you and you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, it is your mission too. Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 told his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Pastor John MacArthur put it this way, every Christian is a disciple. In fact, the Lord's great commission was to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That means that the mission of the church and the goal of evangelism is to make disciples. And so I'm excited uh, that our theme of the year is discipleship. And I'm, I'm excited about what God is going to do among us as we step out in faith. A little bit more, maybe, than we did in, two, in 2022. And, and as we intentionally um, look at our neighbors in the morning, maybe when they were going out to, to, to you know, take the trash out, and as we pray for them, 
And as we seek to, to build relationships and, and to transition conversations from the quote-unquote secular to the things of Christ, I'm excited about what God's going to do through you in, in, in making disciples. And that's what we're going to talk about specifically tonight during Rocky Family Night. So I, I hope you will come back um, 6 o'clock, or I think Robbie said 5.50, we'll start serving food. Um, we're going to eat together, we're going to worship, but we're going to talk about discipleship. What is it exactly? You know, I think some of the reasons, maybe, maybe sometimes we feel a little bit of guilt instead of excitement, is we have the wrong definition in our head of discipleship. Uh, what is it not? Well, may, maybe we think discipleship has to be things that are just intimidating to us, and maybe we don't really quite understand what it's all about. Well, we're going to talk about that tonight. Is, is discipleship a curriculum? Uh, who, you know, what must you, be, must you be a Jedi master theologian or a nearly sinless Christian to be a disciple maker? Well, the answer is no. Okay, we see Jesus calling some pretty, uh, pretty earthy people uh, to go make disciples very soon after they're saved. Okay, right after they came to know him. So we're going to talk about that tonight. So I hope you'll, I hope you'll come and, and, and learn more. Maybe discipleship is actually a lot cooler and more exciting than you think it is. In fact, I'm going to be offering, and I'll talk a little more about this tonight as well, a course on discipleship. Uh, we're going to have it during our normal ABF hour. It's going to start up next month and run for 10 Sundays. And, and so I'm praying that God will give us 20 people to come and to explore what it means to be a disciple and what it means to make disciples. The, the name of the class is Every Disciple a Disciple Maker. All right? Uh, and again, it, it's not a, okay, let's come feel miserable and guilty. No, it's going to be like, hey, let's come walk victoriously together. And so when we, when we, when we do a lesson on hospitality, we're going to go out that week and seek to be hospitable, have someone over, maybe that we normally wouldn't, in our home, and then when we get back together, we're going to encourage each other with how it went. When we talk about transitioning conversations, you know, how do you, how do you whether it be with your neighbor or maybe even right after the service, when we talk about how do you go from talking about football or, you know, uh, crockpot recipes to Christ, you know, how do, we, how do we transition that stuff? All right, let's go out and try this week. I'm going to, I'm going to try to transition a conversation that maybe I wouldn't have before. And uh, let's come back together and encourage each other with how it went and, 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 and give each other ideas. That's what, that's what this thing's all about. So I'm, I'm hopeful and excited about this class and praying that God will give us 20, uh, 20 people, 20 adults who want to come and be a part of this who will then be influencers. That's kind of the, that's kind of the, the plan. Well, this leads to our second point, that, that every one of us, first point being that every one of us has been called to be a disciple maker, right? To the second point, which is making Christ known makes an eternal difference in people's lives, an eternal difference in, in people's lives. Well, and I hope that you're sitting here, and, and maybe you're young, uh, maybe you're not so young anymore. Maybe you're like me, you know, I'm a couple months from, from the big 5-0, right? And I realize I've got more of my life behind me, most likely, uh, I'm quite sure actually, than ahead of me. And, and, and so I want to make a difference, and I hope you want to make a difference with your life, that you don't want to just waste your life on just consuming stuff, consuming oxygen, 
you know, and, and, and consuming products. And, and then you get to the end of your life, and, and you're looking forward into eternity, and you're like, was I faithful? Uh, what, what awaits, do I, is there a well done awaiting me in, in heaven? So making Christ known makes an eternal difference. And, and if you're wanting to make a difference with your life, I, I hope you'll get excited about discipleship. And I see three important things about discipleship in this very story that, that Pastor Ken read for us. The, the first is that discipleship means relationship. Discipleship means relationship. So look at verse 38 with me, if you will. Jesus turned and, and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? Now, to me, that's just kind of interesting, right? These two guys, uh, uh, John's disciples, realize that this is their Messiah. And so now they, they, they say sayonara to John, and they're following Jesus at a little bit of a distance, and, and maybe they're kind of not, you know, it might have been an awkward moment. And Jesus realizes these two guys are behind me, following me, you know, um, you guys trying to mug me or what? You know, he kind of turns to them and he says, who, you know, what you doing? Who are you following? You know, he's kind of breaking the ice, as it were. And they don't give him a direct answer that they're following him. But instead of saying, we're following you, they, they don't really know him. They're, they're, they, they're, they want to get to know him. So they said to him, Rabbi, which is a title of great respect for teacher, where are you staying? And of course, that... that um, signifies that they were interested in being with him and spending time with him. It wasn't just a random question. And so he said to them, come and you will see. You see, he invites them into relationship. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour, which would be four o'clock p.m. And so they wanted to spend time with Jesus and they got time that day, I think by uh, significance. They probably stayed the night. There was some hospitality involved. They ate. They talked. Um, you wonder what all they heard, what kinds of questions they would have asked. We know that Andrew, for sure, got that opportunity for the next three years to journey with Jesus, to, to sleep next to him, to eat with him, to, to watch him in action. And so what we see here is that discipleship is not just about knowledge dissemination. Sometimes we, we think that way. We're kind of a specialized culture. Maybe in our church culture, we're like, hey, let's have a discipleship class. We'll come sit in a room for an hour, and you know, I'll give you more knowledge, which could end up being Deadpool, right? Could be. Um, but here, what we've got going on here is life together. Discipleship includes living by example. There, there was a, a guy named Robert Coleman who wrote a book about uh, the Master Plan of Evangelism, and then he followed up with a book called The Master Plan of Discipleship. And he writes, one living sermon is worth a hundred explanations. Right? Uh, and, and look, I'm the guy who weekly comes and gives sermons, and I'm humbled by this. It means, it means that, that, that i got to be sure that I am living what I preach. Since discipleship must not happen in a vacuum, but in the, in the course of living life with people, it must include intentional and even sacrificial hospitality, welcoming people in to our, to our homes, right, our, our castles, and, and, and to our life experience, doing, spending time to peop, with people. Um, Will Metzger writes, we should open up our homes as well as our hearts to others. 
To invite people to be part of our lives and our families is an important demonstration of the gospel in action. So let me encourage you, church. Um, let's, let's, be, let's come to church be, and be ready to invite someone over for a meal uh, after church on a Sunday. You know, how cool would it be if, if a number of us had a meal uh, prepared for another family or another person and we weren't even sure exactly who that was going to be uh, until Sunday morning? And, and, and just in the course of a conversation... You invited them over. And let's remember with that to think about not only inviting people who are just like us. You know, let's be like Christ. Think about the men he called to follow him. It was a diverse lot. Effective personal discipleship happens when you have two things. That is a real relationship with somebody and you have God's word. Okay, and so that's the idea. We want to walk through life together. And we want to figure out, as we're doing this, this mess of life, we want to figure out how do we apply principles from God's Word to our messy lives. Bobby Jameson wrote a, a great book on discipleship, and, and he wrote, one of the chief means by which we grow as disciples is through personal relationships in which we bring the truths of the gospel to bear on the details of life. It's not just painting a wall with or a chalkboard with, with, with all kinds of ideas, it's how does this apply to real life? How does this apply to the workplace? How does this apply to marriage? How does this apply to conflict? How does this apply to evangelism? How does this apply to, to recreation and sports? All of that can be part of and should be a part of discipleship. Discipleship is not just going through a, a manual or, or a checklist. David Platt writes, making disciples is not an easy process. It, it is trying. It is messy. It is slow, tedious, even painful at times. It is all these things because it is relational. Jesus has not given us an effortless step-by-step -step formula for impacting the nations for his glory. He has given us people, and he has said, live for them, love them, Serve them and lead them. Lead them to follow me and lead them to lead others to follow me. In the process, you will multiply the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so we see that right here in our, in our story happening uh, today. And that's, that's, that's the second point here. Um, letter B, as uh, our, our brother Bill would say. Discipleship creates multiplication. Discipleship creates multiplication. So look at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother and Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Now one thing that you will note is that the word found here doesn't mean stumbled upon. It implies that a search has been going on. So the word is used in the same way in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, in which Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. In other words, being all in. So, so John, who had now found Christ and pointed his disciples to Christ, uh, who have, had now found him, they were all in. They were leaving it behind and following him. And that's what a Christian is. 
a, a follower of Jesus. That's what discipleship is, right? That's what a disciple is, is a follower. And discipleship is simply following and helping other people follow. That's what it is, following together. You know, you may think, well, I've got to have it all together. No, you don't. You just got to have to have a master and say, let's follow him together. And even if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and someone is, is relatively new and so you're kind of like the one, quote, unquote, discipling the other, you, you, better, you better plan on them discipling you too because there are going to be times that you're going to be low or down or they're going to discover things that, that you need to hear because you both have the Holy Spirit in you. And you're both sinners. You're both going to mess up. So you need each other. That's the whole point. Following Christ together, but being all in. So by the end of verse 42, we see that, that John had helped Andrew follow Jesus, and Andrew had already gone and found his brother Peter and brought Peter to Jesus. And so what we see here is three generations of discipleship in eight verses. And that's how it's supposed to look in our lives, right? Uh, we're still growing. We're still trying to figure it out, but we're bringing other people along. It's not that we've arrived at a place before we start disciple, discipling. In fact, all of us ought to be discipling somebody if you're a Christian, and you ought to have somebody else who's discipling you. That's how it should work. Does that make sense? You need somebody that you can go to and somebody that you're pouring into, and, and at times that might get messy and it might even get switched around a little bit. And that's awesome. Well, I'm reminded of the command here to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. Now, he had had a great master, right? He had had the apostle Paul in his life, who was also a sinner. I think Paul is probably a stubborn dude. And so he writes to Timothy, who was a young man, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So this is God's plan to, to, to change the world, discipleship, by multiplication. Not addition, not, not, okay, let's have rooms full of people with great speakers, of which who I don't think I necessarily am, uh, who will feed them all and they just keep coming back. No, the idea is equip the saints for ministry. So you are all called to be disciple makers. You are ministers. Every member of Rocky, we elders pray, will be a minister. Every disciple should be a disciple maker. That's the master's plan. Multiplication. And that brings us to our, the, the third thing about discipleship that I see in this story, and that is that discipleship changes lives. Discipleship changes lives for eternity. John had pointed his disciples to Jesus, and his witness changed their lives. They went from following John to following Jesus. So their lives have been changed. And now one of them, John's disciple Andrew, brings his brother Simon to Jesus. And here we see the beginning of Peter's life transformation. And so in verse 42, the second half, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, Cephas means rock in Aramaic. Okay, and, and so what we see here in the Bible is that when someone's name is changed, that signifies calling. You remember Abraham's name had been changed from Abram to Abraham. Well, Jesus here takes Simon and he gives him the name Peter or Cephas, which means 
rock. And what he's signifying to, to, to Simon right here is that, that, G, that he has some big plans for his life. Now, it wasn't going to be comfortable for him. It wasn't going to be easy for him. Not even at the end. If you remember the end of Peter's life according to church history and according to Jesus' prophecy, uh, it wasn't just you know, laying there in a bed you know, with your relatives all around you holding your hand, saying goodbye. He was crucified in Rome by his own request upside down because he didn't see himself as being worthy of dying uh, in the same manner as his master. And yet, and yet, God used Peter to be his agent to change the world. When, when Peter uh, gave up that last breath on his cross and he went into glory, think of the, the hundreds of souls that he met and think of the thousands of souls that he met later who came into glory because of his gospel influence, because of the discipleship uh, that, that, that he followed his master in, in, in doing the same thing that he had seen Jesus do with him. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 15 through 18, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And we read that Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now this morning, we started in ABF 2, um, a study on First Peter. And uh, Bart got us started with almost verses 1 and 2. We get to come back and do verses 1 and 2 next week again, which I'm looking forward to. But, you know, as I've read through 1 Peter a couple times, um, one of the things that has struck me is the gentleness of, of this epistle, of this letter. Now, he had a kind of a ghostwriter. He had a guy helping him out, you know, I think with, with some of the, um, you know, the, the um, grammar, all right, which, by the way, is incredibly complicated. Um, but, but, but you know what? The soul of Peter comes out as this gentle, wise man exhorting his, um, his children to, to, not, to not give up in the face of persecution and suffering, but to look to Jesus. And I think, what a change in Peter's life. This was a rough fisherman, right, who was sometimes violent and was always, um, always, always putting his foot in his mouth. And, and yet, here we see this, this wise um, writer of First Peter, and you think, what happened? Is this the same guy? People have asked that question. Could this really be the same guy? And you know what? It was the same guy, but it was a different man. It was a man who had been discipled by Jesus himself. Peter's life had been changed for eternity, and as such, many other lives would be changed. You know, there was once upon a time that a normal Joe shared the gospel with Billy Graham. Maybe God will use you to bring your neighbor to Jesus, and maybe she will become a great Christian writer or a great missionary. So I pray that, that the Lord will, will um, do a great work in our lives as a church this year and will stir our hearts up not to be simply consumers, but that we will be a disciple-making force for the gates of hell to, to try to reckon with. At our recent elder retreat, we talked about 
building a culture of discipleship. And in preparation for that, and this was back in October, we, we read a book on building a culture of evangelism by a guy named Max Stiles. And, and so, um, by the way, if you're wondering, well, what, you know, what does evangelism have to do with discipleship? Um, I think there's a very tight relationship there. I see evangelism as the beginning of a discipleship relationship, okay? Um, but Max Stiles discusses building a culture of evangelism in our local churches. And he, he reflects, to be compelled by love to share the gospel individually is a beautiful thing, but when it happens in community, it is joyfully glorious. The need to badger people to share their faith evaporates. It becomes something that we long to do. It becomes a way of thinking. I long for a church that understands that it, the local church, is the chosen and best method of evangelism. I long for a church where the greatest celebrations happen over those who share their faith, and the heroes are those who risk their reputations to evangelize. And brothers and sisters, I pray that for us. Um, we have, we have a, a number of, uh, many of you are influencers uh, in, in your circles, in your oikos at work. Will you use your influence to make disciples of Jesus? Even will you lay down and lose some of your influence and maybe not get promoted because you are using your place to, to be a light? And, and may we then come together and celebrate that more then we celebrate promotions or, or job raises together. Will you be that, a, a church that becomes known for a culture of evangelism and discipleship? Come back tonight and let's talk. Let's pray together. And as we do pray, I'd like to invite our deacons who will be serving communion uh, to, to come forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have chosen us, um, sinful, um, weak humans, to be your agents for making Christ known in this world. And Lord, I pray that, like John, we would be smitten with Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to look to him so that we might not be like late Mead, trying to run out there and, and make a difference pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but, but not really looking to our Savior or abiding in the vine, and, 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 uh, and then we end up getting low and weak. Lord, I pray that we would look to Christ every morning, and then as such, that we would just have to talk about Him, that He would fill us up, and that Your Spirit would be powerful in us, such that, that You couldn't keep it out of us uh, from, from making Him known. Lord, I pray that Rocky Bayou Baptist Church would not just be a place where, where we come and, and faithfully teach your word and, and sing some, some, some great music on Sundays and support missionaries, but Lord, I pray for those things, but I pray that this would be a place where every member is a minister and every disciple is a disciple maker and that we are constantly praying for one another as we, as we seek to make you known on, on our, in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and in our schools and, and in our hobbies. Lord, I pray that you would work in us and, and through us to make you known. And, and Lord, may that truly be because we, we know you and love you. I pray in, in, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.